If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, if you'll open them or turn them on to 2 Samuel 23, as we have been going verse by verse through 1 and 2 Samuel. And uh, we are quickly coming to the end of that. We will uh, finish 2 Samuel in a couple weeks, take a week or two to look at Easter, and then we will jump into 1 Kings, look at the end of David's life, and then we will start the Gospel of Mark, if the Lord is willing. And uh, we go verse by verse here, that way you hear the Word of God, uh, not the opinions of Jacob Gray, uh, not the topics that I would like to preach on. And those Sundays when you come in and there are things in your life that you don't want to talk about and the Bible speaks to them, uh, you know it's not because I read your Facebook page, but it is because God had a Word for you. And the title of the sermon this morning is What Really Matters? And I think all of this is really dependent on where you are in life. Our first kid, our second kid, uh, there were a lot of things that we were worried about. But after you have six daughters, like I do, our goal in life is to keep them alive. That's it, to make sure they survive. Uh, And so it changes. Uh, When you're a young parent, you have certain things that matter, and you have certain things that are pulling you in different directions. As your kids get older, uh, those decisions begin to change. And maybe your kids are at the stage of going to college. That Some of them have sat across from you and said, I think I'm going to ask this woman or this man to be my spouse. Maybe you're at a stage in life where you are uh, looking at new jobs, new professions, new uh, things in your life, and you're saying, what comes next for me? Maybe you're at that stage in life where you're thinking, hey, I'm going to retire. Do I have enough in my Social Security? Do I have enough in my retirement? Did I sign up for the right Medicare Plan B? You know, all of those things. And your stage of life really does affect the focus many times. But in Psalms, in 2 Samuel 23, David is at the end of his life. And he's now beginning to write, looking back at all the highs and the lows, the, the difficulties, the challenges. And he tells us, What really matters? And today I hope to show you there are three things that if you and I will apply to our lives, that when we get to that point, however long God gives us, we won't look back and say, what if? Or I wish I would have. Or if I could do it again. And we could just say, God has been good to us. The first service we were talking about this this morning, and so I know that it is something that is difficult for all of us because all of us would say my priorities are absolutely right I don't need a reality check at all but if we're really honest all of us could go adrift all of us can wake up one morning and say man I've spent way too much time at work or we can wake up and say man I've spent way too much time on something other than my marriage and so what really matters to us and so if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's word We're going to read verses 1 through 7 of 2 Samuel. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said... The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, 
like the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet He has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire, will He not make it increased. But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. If you would pray with me. Father, we come this morning knowing, Lord, that anything that I do of my own power today, Lord, will be of no value. And so, Lord, I ask that you would forgive me. I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in this place. The power of your word would be on display. And, Lord, that much would be made of Jesus. Father, thank you for what we've been a part of already. And we ask, Lord, that you would do great things for your glory. And, Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes this morning, and I hope that you will, we always encourage you to take notes. That way you can study through the week, and then you can make sure that you are hearing the Word of God. The first thing is this. If you're going to navigate life's up and down moments, and you're going to look back and say, I have done what should have been done. I've focused on what should have been focused on. We need to remember who we are in Christ. We need to remember who we are in Christ. Look at verse 1. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed one of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. David starts by saying, the reason I can say that I have been blessed, the reason I can say God's been good to me, is because I know who I belong to. I know who I am trusting in. I know who is the one who has a purpose and plan for my life. And he starts by just talking about this. He says, the son of Jesse. He is taking us back to this lineage that he belongs to the offspring of Abraham. The blessings of God. The promises of God. He starts by talking about, thus says the man raised up on high. He says, I'm not the one who went seeking the throne. I'm not the one who went seeking to be used by God. I was just a shepherd in a field, and I was fine with that. But God came. God came into my life, and He raised me up for a purpose and for a plan. The anointed of the God of Jacob. He says, God anointed my life. I had a special purpose and a plan, not because of who I was, but because of what God does. And then it says, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. We know that David wrote many of the psalms. And what he's saying is, I have been able to go through the ups and down moments of life. I've been able to go through the darkest of valleys with God, and I've been able to share that with you. And let's be honest, that's how Satan works. Satan tries to cause us to put our identity in anything other than Jesus. If you have children, you are no longer known by your name. In my case... I'm Jayla's dad, I'm Tinley's dad, I'm Lydia's dad, I'm Kylie's dad, I'm Andrea's dad, I'm Leslie's dad. You say, Jake, you mixed up your kid's order. No. Apparently, if you start with the oldest and always go to the youngest one, it causes favoritism, all right? So I mix them up on purpose now, not by the order of how I like them the most, all right? But that's why. You became their parents. That's your identity. Maybe you're a a, a boss at work and your employee Where you work has become your identity. Or maybe you're so-and-so's spouse. That's your identity. 
But if you're going to live this life and know what God wants for you, you have to know who you belong to. You have to know that Jesus Christ died upon the cross for you, was buried for you, rose for you, and has saved you from your sins. And when Satan begins to try to convince you that, you know what, you're a no-good scoundrel just like your family. You know what, you're a no-good scoundrel just like your spouse. You know what, you're just your mistakes and your failures. You can be reminded that, no, I am who he says I am. I am a child of God. I belong to him. David is giving us this blueprint for us. But I want to just give you some examples. These aren't going to be on the screen. You can write them down. You can ignore them. You can do whatever you want with them about how sometimes Satan lies to us, but yet what God says to us. I can say that I am unlovable, but yet God says I am forever loved. Romans 8, verse 38 and 39. I can say that I am too scarred by my past. But God says, I am healed in Isaiah 53, 5. I can complain that I am too weak, too feeble. But yet God says, He can make me strong in Psalms 18, verse 32. I can get so guilty and guilt-driven in my failures in sin, but yet God says, I am forgiven. 1 John 2, verse 12. I can tell myself that everybody's abandoned me. I'm all alone in the fight for Christ. But yet God says I've been adopted into His family, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. You can find this list on Google if you want it later. Just a few more. I can say I am too broken for God to use. But He says He can make me whole. Colossians 2, verse 10. I can say that everybody's rejected me. Rejected the message. But God says, I am His, Isaiah 43, 1. I can say I'm all alone in this battle for Christ. I'm all alone in the struggle for sin. But yet Joshua 1, 9 says that He is always with me. And probably my favorite one, because I am a glass half empty kind of guy. I, it's just hopeless. It's just hopeless. That person's been so stubborn. That situation seems so broken. I have been so sinful. But God says I can have hope because of Him. Jeremiah 29, 11. And so today, if you truly want to grow in your faith, if you want to be used by God, you have to know who you belong to and what God says about you. Second thing David shows us that we need to be reminded of is we need to remember God's Word. We need to remember God's Word. Look here in verses 2 through 5. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His Word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the Rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds like the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet He has made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will He not make it increased? What David is saying is, these words are specifically to a king. And what he's saying is when a king or a leader of a nation is godly, 
Everyone else is blessed because of that. And you say, well, Jake, I'm never going to be the governor. I'm never going to be the president. I'm never going to have some position like that. But what he's really talking about is authority and influence. You might not ever be the president of this country, but you might be the husband and father to your family. You might be a place of influence to the youth. You might be a supervisor at work. You might have family that looks up to you. And what it says here is if you will be godly, if you will seek the things of God, God will use you to be a blessing to those around you, to those under your leadership. As a father, I can bring either blessings or curses to my home. As a pastor, my life does not just affect me and my wife and my children. It affects you. I can either be a blessing to you or a burden to you. And he looks here and says about the morning sun. You're saying, Jake, I've known you a long time, and you're never nothing like a sunrise or a sunshine to me. That's okay. But what he's saying is that there's this idea of hope. right? There's just nothing like waking up on a beautiful, sunshiny day and think, you know what, I just know that I'm going to get beat down today. Right? Why is it people are discouraged and downtrodden when it's rainy and cloudy and, and you don't want to get out of bed? What he's saying is when you will lead with righteousness, when you will be the godly influence of people around you, it will give them an encouragement and a strength to be who God wants them to be. It goes on though and says in verse 5, although David recognizes that I've not always been that way. David says, I've not always been that example. My family's not always been that example. I mean, David has to come to grip with the simple fact that David's done some terrible things. David has failed God. David had failed his children. David had failed his spouse. But yet he says, God made a covenant with me. God did not abandon David even when David fell. God did not throw David away even when David hit rock bottom. And so as a father today, I can say, you know what, I maybe have not been the father and husband that God wanted me today to be, but I'm going to ask forgiveness, and God's going to give me a fresh touch. God's going to give me a second win. God's going to give me a new start. Why? Because God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and it's all based upon His Word. It's not based on your feelings or emotion. It is the simple fact that this book is the inerrant, infallible Word of God, that it never returns void. I said this in the first service, and I made them mad, so I'm going to make sure and say it in this one, all right? Parents, I know there is a great pushing on you from the world that church does not matter. And I know, kids, that there are Sundays when, the, especially in the first service, you ought to see the kids, they just look like this. Oh. I know there are times when your kids don't want to come. I know there are times when Sunday school doesn't seem appealing and Sunday night church doesn't seem ideal or Wednesday night doesn't seem like something you want to be a part of. But God's Word promised that it will never return void. They might not get a lot from it. They, you might not think they're getting anything from it. But God promised that His Word would always accomplish something when someone listens to it when someone is being poured into it. And so if you want to invest in your marriage, in your children, in your life, in something that will always produce results, it's wherever God's Word is being taught, wherever God's Word is being sung, 
Wherever God's Word is being discussed or preached, be there. Be there as a family. Be there at your own family gatherings. Make sure God's Word is always on the tip of your tongue. Listen to what 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Paul wanted to be prayed for. Paul knew that the struggle was real. That the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. Who will establish you and guard you from the evil one? And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and to the patience of Christ. If you want to know what Paul's prayer was, it was for God to use us to take your word and to spread your word and to establish your word and to build upon your word. And as a family, that's got to be my prayer. I want my children to hear the Word of God, to know the Word of God, to live the Word of God, to trust the Word of God. When the world tells them that they cannot have confidence, when the world tells them that they cannot know right from wrong, when the world tells them that there is no truth, they can say, I know a place. I know a book. I know a God. And He is absolute. He is perfect in every way. David's saying, I am trusting everything I have on not only knowing who I am in Christ, in God, but I know what the Word of God says and what God's Word has done in my life. And the third one, and probably my favorite one, because I am a little bit vindictive, is we need to trust that God will defeat His enemies and ours. God will defeat His enemies and ours. I think David puts this in here because how much time do we spend, how much effort do we spend worrying and fighting enemies that God has already defeated? Worrying and fighting problems that God already has a solution to. And so David says here in verses 6 through 7, but the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away. I want to stop there because in a problem, when we have problems at church, when we have problems in our marriage, when we have problems at work, all of us, all of us, every one of us always starts by blaming the other person. It's their fault. If they weren't so stubborn, if they weren't so mouthy, if they weren't so selfish, if they, it always starts there. But don't miss something. Sometimes you and I are the problem. Some of you are already thinking through a list of people. Oh, I know so-and-so. Oh, and that person. They're a son of rebellion. They're a dollar of rebellion. Remember, you just might be on somebody else's rebellion list. But what we see here is David is saying sons of rebellion in the sense of against the kingdom, but also in the sense of rebellious against God. You need to understand something. When someone is embracing the things of this world and rejecting the things of God, they are an enemy of God. They are rebelling against God. They are not fighting against you. They are fighting against the God that you serve. 
And what it says here is, But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. Now when you read that, you think, wait a second. Our enemies are thorns. They're going to be taken away, but I can't do it. I'm glad you caught that. David is telling us that I didn't fight my battles. David is saying, I'm not the one who is the great warrior. He says, God is. He says, God is the one who delivered me from Goliath. God is the one who delivered me from the rebellion armies. God is the one who delivered me from Saul. God is the one who delivered me from his own son that tried to murder him and lead a rebellion. It's God who is the one who fought for me. It's all Him. And friends, you and I will do a great service to ourselves and our marriage and our families if when, when the enemy attacks, and it will, it'll happen in church, it'll happen in committee meetings, it'll happen in your home, it'll happen at work. Wherever people are, Satan will use someone. You need to know that. You need to remember something. It's God that fights for me. I don't have to run around and try to solve every rumor that's said about me. I don't have to sneak around and convince people to agree with me. I don't have to get on the phone and send text messages and whispers. Those are the way that Satan works. You just trust God. You do what God's Word says and let vengeance be His. You do what God says and just let Him fight your battles. Just keep a quiet and gentle spirit of prayer and let God close the mouths of your enemies. It says here in verse 7, But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. What he is saying here is two things. One, he's giving us this idea that the thorns are no good for crops and agriculture, and so they're going to take them out, they're going to burn them. But what he's actually doing is he's tying it into the judgment of the lost. We know in the book of Revelation, the Bible teaches us unapologetically that if you die apart from Jesus Christ, if you die rejecting the free gift of salvation, you are an enemy of God. And you will stand before Him one day and you will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. And the Bible says that the lost, Satan, the Antichrist, will all be thrown into the lake of fire, an unquenching place of punishment and torment forever. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, don't be bogged down by people who aren't gods. You can't change their heart. You can't argue with them enough to convince them. You can't outshout them to make them agree with you. You've just got to let God deal with it. And there's one thing I wish I would have learned faster, quicker, whichever the right word is. I've been here 11 and a half years now, and I have done some stupid things. But the number one thing I wish I would have learned is just to let the Lord fight. Just let the Lord fight. When I'm sitting in a committee meeting, I think I'd slap that person if I could get away with it. Just let the Lord take care of it. I have never left a service of any kind and thought, God, you're the problem. God, I'm just so tired of dealing with you. The Lord, you're just on my last nerve. That has never happened. But what I can tell you is I've left here thinking that about you. My wife has left our house thinking that about me. 
And this is the issue. If you really want to be able to get to the end of your life and say, God, I've been used by you. God, it has been good to serve you. Quit chasing every enemy that throws a stone at you. Quit trying to fight every argument that comes your way and just say, God, you're going to have to change them. And God, if they won't change, I know what's going to happen. That's hard to do. That's a challenge to do. But that's what David says. Sons of rebellion are going to get theirs. Just let it go. Just be who God wants you to be. Don't get bitter to that person because what they said about you. Don't get even with that person that's wronged you. Don't share gossip because that person gossiped about you. Just be who God wants you to be. You say, well, Jake, this is the Old Testament, so I know that doesn't happen in today's world. I want to give you an Old Testament and New Testament verse to finish, knowing that it still applies. In Psalms 86, starting in verse 14, O God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life, and have not set you before them. He says, they're going to kill me. They don't love me or you, God, but you, O Lord. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Oh, turn to me. Now stop there. I want you to think about this as a parent. If you're like me, sometimes your kids will come into a room and be like, Dad, I love you. Dad, you're, you're, you're awesome. Not, not a lot, but sometimes, all right. And when that happens, you just turn on them and you're like, Aww. Go bring it in, right? And you hug him and you're just like, oh, I knew you were my favorite, right? You know, in that moment, you turn in a loving, kind way. But there are also times as a parent when you hear something like, don't jump off the, you're like, what? <laughs> or quit pulling my hair, what? Or put down the knife, what? You turn in a totally different way. And what David just did in verse 9 was he talked about the mercy, the compassion, the grace, the long-suffering of God. And he says, God, turn to me. Now, what he's trying to get across here is that God turns in that sense as a loving parent, as a loving father, that he knows my struggle, he knows my battle, he knows my fight. And he's not turning his attention to me in anger, but in love and protection. He turns the other way against the enemies. But in this sense, it's in, a, in a, an area of love and compassion and fighting for us. Listen to what he goes on to say. Oh, turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. He says, God, I need you and you're going to turn and be there for me because, God, you're faithful and you're true and my enemies, God, you're going to deal with them. That's all you have to do. Humble yourself. Seek the Lord and let the Lord Work. Let the Lord work in your heart and in the lives of those around you. But 2 Peter in the New Testament, 
Because I never want you to think that this is not applicable to us. In 2 Peter, Peter is writing to a group of New Testament Christians. And he says these words. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. There will be phonies in the pew. There will be phonies teaching Sunday school. And there will be phonies standing behind desks like this. You just need to expect it. Be on guard for it. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Peter says, don't forget, judgment's coming. God knows. But in verse 2, and many will follow their destructive ways. I think that's where it gets the hardest. Because it's like, you know, I'm not responsible for other people's stupid, but I'm responsible for my stupid. But I don't want mine to lead someone else astray. But it's saying here, when someone rejects the things of God, they are not happy just rejecting it themselves. They've got an alternative motive. They want you to agree with them. They want you to side with them against God. They want you to side with them against whatever is right. It goes on and says, Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. He says, one, be on guard, because there are people coming that do not have your best interest at heart. Two, it's not going to just be one, it's going to be a group. And three, he tells us how they work. Covetousness. They find out what you want and they tell it. So for instance, Gary and Monica are having some marriage trouble. They're not just using it as an example. I know that. I'm like, Gary, how many times is Jake going to preach on marriage problems? Aren't you tired of him preaching on marriage problems? I think I'm getting sick of him talking about marriage problems. I think we ought to, we ought to do something about him preaching about marriage problems. And you're like, you're right. He picks on me every week. It's every single Sunday. Or maybe you're struggling with lust. Hey, I heard you guys were having some struggles. And you know, does it not? He just keeps talking about lust. Every week it's lust, it's lust, it's lust. It's money, it's money, it's money. Or don't you think we ought to? That's how Satan works. The instruments of Satan find out what you could be upset about. And then they begin to pour that into your ear. Well, you know what? If your wife was more like her, you'd be a lot happier. Well, you know, if your husband, you know, if he hadn't put on 50 pounds and gotten lazy since you got married, you know, they begin to pour into those areas of your life that you are weak in the things that you'd like to have. Boy, I can't believe you got passed over for that promotion. Man, if, if it was me, I'd, I'd just quit. I wouldn't put up with this anymore here at this place of employment. I'd just quit. And the whole time they want you to quit because they want what? Your job. That person wants you to be miserable because they're miserable. That person has selfish ambitions. They want you to help them. Friends, look up here. The people of God do everything in the open. There is no reason to sneak and to whisper and to work behind people's back. It's not of God. And right here it says you're an enemy of God. You're going to find the destruction of God. And so as a Christian, I can either chase those rumors down, I can either try to find every whisper, or I can say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you that you can protect me. God, I trust that you can protect this church. God, I trust that you can protect my marriage. God, I trust that you can protect my kids. God, I'm going to trust you in the fight to come, the battle that must be waged. God, I'm going to trust you. 
And that's what David says as he's coming to the end of his life. He says, remember who you are and who you belong to. Remember the truth of God's word in every situation. And third, quit letting the devil have a place in your mind by worrying and fear about an enemy that's already been beaten. This is probably something I struggle with the most. I lay in my bed in the basement and look at the rafters for many a night and many an hour and thought, I don't know how I'm going to fix this situation. I don't know how we're going to fix this person. I don't know what we're going to do about this situation. I just, I don't, I just, I can't, I just lay there. and I look up at that rafter and it's Northwood. I don't know who makes those wood rafters, but that's what it says. And I lay there and think, God, I just, how am I going to fix this? God, what am I going to do about this? What, what's going to happen? And God has to remind me. And it happened this very morning. The Lord's like, how about you read your sermon one more time? I'm like, nope. Not going to happen because I know what the third point is. And so I got out my notebook, looked at the sermon, and that's what it said. Let the Lord fight it for you. And I thought, dang it. <laughs> I know that. But it's different when it's the battle in your life. It's different when it's the battle in your marriage. It's different when they're saying it about you and your family. But friends, one of these days you're going to look back and say, you know what, God had straightened every path. God had steamrolled over every opposition. I worried about enemies that had no power over me because I know who I belong to. I know the God that I serve. I know the plans and purposes that he has for me, even if I don't know the details. And I just need to trust him. And so, friends, I hope today that whether you are struggling in regards to the battles that you're facing, whether you're struggling to, to really apply God's word as the foundation of your life, or if you're here today and you cannot say, I belong to him, this invitation here shortly is for you. But I want to start by saying, if you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, you cannot say that you're his. The Bible is unapologetic in the simple truth that there is one way to be saved. There's one way to be right with God. There's one way to be brought into the family of God. And that is by believing and being born again through the power, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, you have to admit today that you are a sinner. You have to admit to God that you have sinned, that you have rebelled against Him, that you have broken His law, but yet you believe that Jesus loves you, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father. And He is willing to forgive you. He paid the punishment for your sin on the cross. And so, friends, if you'll repent of your sins, admitting, Lord, I am a sinner but I believe that you love me and I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want you to come into my heart and life and to make me brand new. The Bible says if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. It's not a might. It's not an if. It's not a, if they don't want you to. If you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But for many of you, it's probably the second category. God, I got some decisions I need to make. God, I got some things I'm... I'm struggling with, how do I apply your word? And third, maybe today you say, Jake, I need to lay down that hold that the enemy has over me through nerves and fear and anxiety. And I promise you that he will.